are in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 3. So I'm going to read the verses and then we will get into our study as we read these scriptures. So Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast or if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so, Father, we thank you for this morning, Jesus. We thank you for this time that we get to come and to worship you, to come sit and hear from your word. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to tell us today. Lord, soften hearts when we think about these areas of belief and unbelief and faithfulness. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that we might be able to receive all that you have for us. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you empower me to speak your truths to your people. And we just thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning's message, I've entitled it, Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And as we think about what that all entails, one of the things that I think about that comes to mind is this idea of faithfulness. And we'll see that in just a second as we have Jesus, who is compared to Moses, and has shown what faithfulness is all about. Now, oftentimes, especially maybe as an employee, or maybe an employer, or in relationships, or with people in general, isn't that something that we all look for in people is faithfulness? I think sometimes we might even look in the past and think like, man, in my day, kids, man, we just work hard, and we did this, and and all that, and it's, it's so much different than today. But I would surmise that faithfulness is a term that's not a new term. It's something that's gone across, you know, cultures and even divides. I mean, I think myself as at times having been an employer at different times in my past, it is definitely one of the things we look for, isn't it? Faithfulness. Someone that you can trust. Someone that you can depend upon. I mean, when you look at it in that way, especially as maybe a business owner or someone who's been in charge as a steward over a company and so forth, 
right? I mean, we long for those times of not so much of like, I should have this position or, or I'm entitled to this position because of, uh, of who my parent might be or who my uncle might be. We look for faithfulness. How much more so even when we think about relationships, right? Between maybe, you know, you're looking for that special someone. It's one of the things, just FYI for you parents, whenever we do these youth trips and so forth, we have this talk at the very beginning. And as we gather with all the students, sometimes 80, 90, 100 kids, you know, we're gathering around and, and we reminisce that very probable in their young lives, as they're in a crowded room, their eyes are going to make eye contact with somebody across the room. And their eyes are going to connect and lock. And all of a sudden, sparks are going to fly. Relationships going to ensue. There might even be marriage, kids. But you know what? Not on this trip. We always say that to them. Not on this trip. But even on those things. So just so you know, parents, we're in your side. We're on your side on those things, okay? But one of the things we look for that, right, is you want faithfulness because it's what builds trust, right? As you're looking for faithfulness, you're wanting somebody who says, yes, I love you and I plan to stick with you from here on out. I mean, we make that, right, before when we set up here or in your own wedding ceremony. It's one of the things that you're committing as you're going through your vows, right? What you're saying in essence when you're saying your I do's and you seal it with a kiss, you're saying, I will be faithful to you. Okay, so with that thought in mind, how many times has that faithfulness been broken? Where you put your hope and you're like, man, this is the guy that we wanted to hire. This is the gal that we've been looking for. This is the one that's going to take our company to the next level. And then they blow it. You know, or you get in this relationship. And you're like, man, she was the one for me. But man, why would she keep playing with my cousin? Like, what is going on here? Or you, with every, hey, this time, man, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to get into this relationship, and this is the gal for me. This, this is the gal for me. I mean, yes, I'm going to stay focused, and we blow it. And over and over, and at different times, we feel disappointed. Well, here's the deal. May I surmise that in all of these things, we're looking to the wrong person for the definition of faithfulness, right? We're not looking, you know, we might even be looking to ourselves and we might pride ourselves and say, hey, I am a faithful person. But I would say that in every one of those cases, you're going to be disappointed. No matter, I mean, I, mean, I know friends who have groomed people if this is the person that's going to take this, you know, and you pour all this time and effort, and we've done that. If you've been in any kind of corporate world, you know, you spend all this money on training and so forth, and they disappoint you. Your children disappoint you. Your spouses disappoint you. We're always going to be disappointed. And so can I ask you, church, this morning, can you consider Jesus? Can you consider Jesus? who is faithful, who is always faithful, who will always be faithful. And this morning, as we've gone through, as we go through these next 15 verses, we will find that Jesus is the faithful one. And in these four things, I think here, the writer of Hebrews and really opening, trying desperately to open the eyes of these Hebrew Christians is trying to elevate Jesus, who is so much better than Moses. 
Right? And I say Moses, you're like, what? Well, again, remember, Moses was someone that the children of Israel looked up to. Right? I mean, we see that. I mean, we the Ten Commandments, it's coming up, right? We have the Easter, you know, holidays where we come up. And it is, I remember the very first time uh, we had Greg over for our Easter Sunday, just, it was more of a sleep, right? We ate at some point, but it was more of an Easter Sunday sleep. It's like, Greg, let's watch the Ten Commandments. I've never seen that before. I'm like, what? You've never seen Charlton Heston? No, and we watched it. Did we stay awake? No, we fell asleep. It was Easter Sunday, okay. But nonetheless, all these movies have been made about the man Moses. But the thing that we're going to find out is that Moses not only is someone who is faithful and someone who represents the commandments of God, who, in rightly so, the children of Israel looked up to, revered, even these New Testament Christians who had come out of of the Hebrew faith, they were still holding and looking to. But here's the problem that Moses represents. Not only does Moses represent the Ten Commandments and, and God coming and speaking to the people from the mountain, he also represents, right, man's attempt to please God by his own works, by his own doing, right? And we'll find that and in four ways. We're going to look at, one, Jesus is faithful as we consider Jesus. The second thing we're going to find is that Jesus is greater than our works. The third thing we'll see is that we are his house, okay? And then the fourth thing, believe and encourage. And we'll see that in a second. So the first thing, let's look here in verse 1 and 2. We'll see where our first point comes from. Jesus is faithful and why we can see and depend upon Jesus as faithful. Therefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, God, who appointed him, Jesus. So the first we're going to see is we can depend upon Jesus. We can see Jesus as the faithful. We can consider Jesus because when we're invited to this family of God, this is how God sees us. I really believe so many times the things that, that we we, you know, we kind of have these expectations on people and we fail. Or even sometimes, in more ways than one, we have these expectations are on ourselves. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. But why do I keep failing? Why do I keep blowing this? It's like what Paul said later in Romans, right? The things that I know that I should be doing, man, those are the things that I don't do. And the things that I know that I need to do over and over, those are the things that I don't do. And then he says, O wretched man that I am, who will, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? But then he does the same thing that this writer tells us. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus who is the Savior, who is faithful. Why? Well, look how what Jesus has done when he brought us in. We need to be reminded of who we are. And the first thing we find out is that we are holy brethren. The, the idea of holy brethren means that we are, the New Living Translation says, right, that it, it, he says it this way, dear brothers and sisters. And there's just a quick reminder, when we look at the house of God, is, which is a new term that's being introduced here in Hebrews, you look at the house of God and you look around and you see that in fact, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we're not alone in this thing. We are a part of something that's greater and bigger and better. It was one of the first things that really blew me away. When I became a believer, a follower of Jesus in 1996, 
I immediately got thrust because I didn't know, you know, I just, these are the people that I grew up with. I immediately got thrust into a Hispanic church, uh, primarily Hispanic. And I say it that way because I'm Hispanic, uh, but I say it that way, right? Because we were involved in this church and it was great for a while, but then it became really about being Hispanic. And the pastor was into the National Republican Hispanic Society, what kind of thing. And then, and then he kind of started to, to bring me under his wing. And God bless him, he eventually left the pastorate and went full-time into politics, but he really started bringing me into this whole po- political thing and so forth. And I just remember thinking, like, there's got to be something, I don't know, I'm just missing something. And it was later on that God used another Hispanic man in my life by the name of Raul Reese that I started listening to on the radio in this thick, heavy accent, you know, just speaking truth about who Jesus is and so forth. And so I remember I finally got convinced to go to a Calvary Chapel in San Antonio and I remember walking in and was blown away. Because for some of us, it might be a no-brainer, but for me, growing up on the south side of San Antonio in a primarily Hispanic uh, neighborhood, and, and all the churches were Hispanic, whether it was Catholic or Baptist, whatever, that's just where we were. But I walk into, and the first thing that blew me away was that the pastor was super white, flat top. And then he was married to this black lady with also a flat top. I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird now. This is different than what I'm used to. And then... They, within a couple of weeks, they, they encouraged me to go on a men's retreat. I went, and here, in the middle of this men's retreat, was like some biker-looking dudes, some more black people, some more white people, some more Hispanic. And, and for me, as a new believer, 21 years old barely, it just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that the kingdom of God was just more about our individual identities. But in fact, we were a part of something bigger and greater than just ourselves. But not only that, as we're brought into this holy brethren, it also says, think about that word, holy. God has made us holy because he's brought us with, to, as people, to partake in a heavenly calling. And that's where it takes it to another level. When you begin to realize and to consider Jesus as he's brought us in as brothers and sisters, a part of something bigger and better, it also speaks to the fact that we are under the lordship of a kingdom that's not earthly. That's a thing we learn over and over in the gospel of Matthew. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven and earth is now. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven and God is now. I mean, the kingdom of heaven and earth, all of you keep seeing these things, and it reminds us that God has brought us in to be under the lordship of this world to be that is still to come, but is also right now the kingdom of heaven and earth. So then it becomes a heavenly calling. It's like, let's, for a second, for a moment, stop looking at our our past failures. Stop looking at at the the areas where we've really blown in. And for a second, take our eyes off of that and look at ourselves through the lens of who Jesus is. And in all that, he calls us to consider Jesus. In other translations, it actually starts out that way. um, Consider Jesus, who is the apostle and high priest, who is relating to us with dual authority. He is one who is sent from God, but also one who goes back and intercedes on our behalf. I remember I was saying uh, earlier, the first service, I remember the very first time I heard uh, Vernon McGee, it blew me away because he was, again, here was like a heavy, thick Texan, I think, or South accent. But this was just like a so new concept for me 
But he was speaking about Jesus at the right hand of the Father, interceding, interceding on our behalf. And he says, my beloved, did you forget to pray today? Well, that's okay, because Jesus is praying for you right now. He sits at the right hand of the Father and just totally was like, whoa. And it was a cool accent, right? Do I still have my Texas accent a little bit? No, I've never had a Texas accent. <laughs> but anyways, it just blew me away that here I am now called to consider Jesus, who is an apostle and a high priest, who was sent from God and who on our behalf is continually at the throne room of God praying on our behalf, interceding. And so then you realize, okay, man, I'm part of this heavenly calling. I'm part of this family of God. And I'm looking at one who is faithful in all that he's done and all that he continues to be about. He is Jesus, the faithful, who was faithful to him, God, right, who was appointed by him, just as Moses was faithful. Now, we'll see in a second in the next point how there's that comparison between Moses and Jesus. But for now, the word we look to is faithful because Jesus was faithful to humanity. He was faithful to the Father and that he continued in his mission to rescue humanity, right? But here's the power of this. The wording there, the wording that's used is not that he was faithful. It's already, as I'm alluding to you, is that he was faithful then he continues to remain faithful now, and he will continue to be faithful in the future. And so all of a sudden, what it should do is to start shifting your eyes off of ourselves, off of our failures. Now, please don't get me wrong. Yes, when sin comes knocking at the door and we open it, yes, confession has to happen for sure. Repentance has to happen for sure. But as soon as that door is open, Jesus comes quickly and closes the door because sin has been cut off from us. Because we have one who intercedes as a mediator, past, present, and future. So we think, when we think about sin and its destruction and our battle over it, it's not about fixing our eyes on sin or consider sin. Or today, man, I'm not going to yell at my wife. Today is the last time I'm going to go to that website. Today is the last time I'm finding no more stealing from me. I'm done. But oftentimes you find that in those struggles, we find ourselves doing the same thing over and over and over again. Why? Because like Paul, there is that internal struggle. So then what does the writer of Hebrews tell us even in this, even to the Hebrews? Not only is he demonstrating that Jesus is so much better, but Jesus is faithful even when we're faithless, even when we blow it. Right, look at this. In 2 Timothy 2.11, look what he says, the writer of this, Paul. He says, this is a faithful saying. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, man, he will also deny us. But check this out. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Doesn't that blow you away? Doesn't that just take you out of the equation? And that, yes, Lord, I've blown it. Oh, man, that employee blew it. Oh, man, that person that we were grooming that was going to be the person, they blew it. My spouse has blew it again. Yeah, you know what? It's not a surprise. Because when we're faithless 
He remains faithful. And then think about this. He can't deny himself. He cannot deny himself from interceding on your behalf. He can, to, to, to deny, to stop and to say, no, you're a failure. You're this. The only thing, the only thing that prevents us from experiencing the faithfulness of God is the refusing to open the door and to acknowledge, yes, sin, I have let you into a part of my heart. That's the only thing that prevents us from experiencing the faithfulness of God. Sometimes we're afraid of repenting. Sometimes we're, we're, we're afraid to come clean. Man, if, if I tell them, if I tell them the truth, they're going to think poorly of me. If I tell my wife finally what I've been doing, she's going to hate me. If I, if I say this, my standing in the community, but what we keep forgetting is that as soon as we open that door to repentance again, Jesus is there to close it and stand between you and sin because he is faithful. And so then the writer of Hebrews says, consider Jesus. Let's take eyes off of ourselves and consider Jesus. Why? Because second point, Jesus is greater than our works. Jesus is so much better and greater than our works. And, and, and what he was trying to tell the Hebrews, he is greater than Moses. Right? There is a comparison there between Moses and Jesus. Now Moses... We get it. He had high honor. He deserved that. The, the, the writer of Hebrews actually attests that. He was faithful. I mean, this man had a holy calling as well, right? Called right in the middle of a fiery burning bush, called to go back to Egypt, called to go and to be used by God to perform miraculous works, to bring out the children of Israel with miracles, and then to lead millions of people in the wilderness to be able to lead them and the Bible says, you look in Deuteronomy, man, their clothes did not waste away as they wanted, as God was faithful to those people, even though they were faithless and performed all these various miracles and so forth. He was definitely faithful, but Jesus was more faithful because here's the other part of it that I said earlier. Moses not only represents the Old Testament and the old way of relationship to God, but he also represents and it's a picture of our attempt to please God with our own works. It's never going to happen. Right? Moses is a picture of if I do well, then God is blessed. If I do poorly, then God says, Moses, go deal with your people. When we're obeying and obedient, Moses, lead my people. You know, When they're bad, like they're your people. When they're good, they're my people. That's, that's how the relationship went between Moses. But that's how it was meant to be. Because Jesus is great. Because Jesus is greater than our works. He's greater than the works. He was simply a picture of what was to come. Moses was a servant in the house of God. We see that, right? In verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses, indeed, he was faithful in all his house, in the house of God, and the things that God was building and doing in the wilderness and bringing the commandments to the people. But... Right? He, was done, he did that. He served for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. I love this. Look at Galatians chapter 3. If you turn in your Bibles, I don't think I have it on the screen, but if you turn in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3, look at this. And this is probably one of those spots, too, where people assume that the, the writer of Hebrews has to be Paul because of some of the same language. But look what is said here, Galatians 3.19. What purpose 
then does the law serve? The Ten Commandments, the commandments of God. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator, right? Speaking of Moses again. But now look at this, look at verse 23. But before faith came, right, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In other words, the law and its purpose was only meant to reveal our need. It's only meant to reveal our need for Jesus. You know how when some kids, you know, um, you know, when they're little, especially when they're like this tiny and they want to help you in the kitchen and you're like, I do it, I do it. And you're like, oh, you do that. You're going to like, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to break. I do it, I do it. And we've had these like these famous words. I do it, I do it. And we've had been multiple times to our kids. And, and so what do you do sometimes? What do you do? You let them do it. Why? To show them that they can do it. Why? Because right now in this time and in this place, they need you. They need you. But sometimes we just have to let them do it. And in the same way, it is the picture of the law and what God was showing. He was showing, okay, do you think that you can get through these things? Do you think you can do this, you know, freedom and, and, and you try and you try and you try? It's not going to happen. So what did it do? It produced in us a need for Jesus. To consider Jesus. Right? Those things, they were never meant to save us. Keeping the Ten Commandments were never meant to save us. They were meant to point us to someone greater. Someone who is greater than our own works, right? So that we might consider Jesus. I mean, he says it there, right? That he would be a testimony of those things which be, would be spoken over his own house. It was simply a picture of something better and greater the way when, when any builder, and I'm always blown away by the skill and the ability of a lot of you guys in this community who, who, are, who build their own houses or that's their job they create. I love that, you know, in, in Texas, in many places, right, there's a lot of cookie cutter houses. But you come to the island, it's very unique. And then every house takes, what, two, three, four years because there's all these intricacies and so forth. For some, maybe not all, but you, you it, I often am blown away by just how beautiful and how how great these houses look, right? Because it points to a creator. It points to someone bigger and better. And the same idea here is that the writer of Hebrews is making that all the things that were of old pointed to something better and greater, who is Jesus, who is greater than our works. He is greater than Moses, right? He is, we, we look and we take care of sin when we go look to the one who made us to the one who created us, the one who knows us from the inside out because Jesus is greater than all our works. Look at this in Ephesians. It was, um, wow. Ephesians chapter 2, which I've taught before in this fellowship, but incidentally, it was uh, the first sermon I ever taught in my life on a Sunday morning was from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, these very verses, and, and uh, I did it probably in about 20 minutes when my pastor normally spoke for about 45 and messed up everybody. Messed up Jones ministry, everything. It was horrible. We had the cassette tape, and I've yet to listen to it. Um, 
But anyways, but look at what Jesus says here. Look what Paul says. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. I love that. Every time I think about that, because the word workmanship means poema. It's the idea of, of you are his work of art. It's something that he's created. And he's not only just created, but created so that you might walk in his will. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. See, when we look to Jesus and we look at his work, we realize that he is greater than our works, greater than anything we could ever accomplish. And so then we consider Jesus, who is faithful, who is faithful. Now look at the third thing. For we are his house. And here becomes then our first warning in all this for us as well. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And so now he brings it home that we as the church of God are now the house of God. We belong to him and him to us. You have this, this idea of Jesus being one and the same, right? He is the father and he is, also, he is also the savior. He is also God and we are his house if we hold fast. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope. Now here's the thing. Even in this, as we look, as I said earlier, you know, we look at people who are faithless. Because many of us, that's what we experience. It's once again a call not to look to man. Because man will fail you. Men, women will fail us. That is like the, that's just the deal of humanity. I know sometimes we think and we put these expectations, but once again, reminded to not to look to them and even our own selves, but to look to Jesus, right? We are his house if we hold on to this thing. We hold fast to this confidence and rejoice in hope. And what is that? Well, again, it's not do more or be better, but it's believe. It's look to the one who did the ultimate work. It's look to Jesus by holding on to him who is our living hope and all that he's done. We hold on to hope. Now understand, it's not holding on to hope for the sake of hope. But I love how Peter O'Brien, he's a commentator to the book of Hebrews. I love how he puts it. He says it this way. The listeners us hold fast to their boasts by holding firm to what God has done for them in Christ. Similarly, hope points to what one hopes for, its content, rather than the act of hoping. It's not just I'm hoping and then there's like this empty hope. Like even when the world, we, in the world sometimes we say, oh, I hope things will get better. But for the child of God, our hope is in the one who is faithful. Our hope is in the one who conquered all. Our hope is in the one who took death by the horns, if you will, brought him down to the grave and left him there as he was raising from the grave. We look to that hope, the one who was faithful, even when we were faithless. We now consider Jesus. 
And here's the last thing, another warning for us as a church, number four, right? Believe and encourage. Look what happens next, verse seven. Therefore, right, as the Holy Spirit says, and because of all these things, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And they said, and they, and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's interesting that in the first section, he's comparing Jesus to Moses. It says Jesus is greater than Moses. He is the faithful. And now there is simply straight up a warning for us as believers. We have a choice now. Either we can remain hopeless. We, we can continue as, as, as children who continually beat our heads against the wall. And, and we keep disappointing ourselves in failure. Oh, we can say, okay, I know that I'm a failure. And I know that I will blow it. And I know that my wife at times might be uh, faithless. But now God says, look and believe in the one who is faithful. Right? To protect ourselves and not get hard. Because those guys, I mean, there's a comparison to these guys. They were right on the edge of the promised land. Right on the edge of going in and crossing the Jordan into it. But what happened? Man, they feared. Man, if we go over that Jordan, there's giants in that land. There's people. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And because they wouldn't believe and accept God and his word, man, what happened? They wandered for 40 years because they wouldn't believe. And here today, I would encourage you as children of God, you have to ask yourselves, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Now, I know that with our minds, mentally, we can say, of course I do. But as one writer uh, in his book, Sidetrack in the Wilderness, uh, 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 Michael Wells, he says it this way, that even in the church, there are people who are believers, but are also unbelievers at the same time. Here's what he says, and I want to encourage us in this. It's a long quote, but follow with me. Let me explain that an unbelieving believer is someone who is a Christian, is born again, and will arrive in heaven. The problem is that this person has never believed in the Lord Jesus with his whole being. That is, with his whole mind, he receives and believes all that is told him about the grace, care, concern, and love of the Lord Jesus. He is a believer. Yet at the same time, he feels that he is in charge of every aspect of his Christian life, that he must change the lives of those around him, bring transformations into his own life, and work to make himself pleasing to God. That is, in his emotions, he is unbelieving. The church today is full of such unbelieving believers who with their minds run to God, but with their emotions run away from Him. Much time and effort have been spent persuading people's thoughts to agree with what Scripture says, but with very little attention is given to the emotions which need equal convincing. An emotional concept of God is just as important as an intellectual view. One more paragraph. A negative emotional perception of God will hinder attempts to look to Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Many understand believing that God will care for their every need, but feel unbelieving that He will really not help, and, and they must do everything themselves, so they continue in great turmoil. 
There's a warning for, for, for both of us. For two types of Christians here. One, it's a challenge to believe what God thinks about you. Holy brethren, with a heavenly calling, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And then there's the other challenge to believe some of us, we think we're better than we really are. And we then depend upon ourselves. And in both cases, we fall into the danger of unbelief. And as, Paul, and as the writer of Hebrews warns us, then it falls into sin. Look what he says, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Right, same as verse 6. He repeats himself, right? While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See, today there is a challenge to look to Jesus as the faithful. People will, will disappoint us. Our spouses may disappoint us. We might even disappoint ourselves. But here now, even as your pastor, I ask you, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus who is faithful. Consider Jesus who is greater than Moses, who's greater than our works, because in Christ, as fellow brothers and sisters who have been made holy, we look to Jesus who is our living hope, who is the one faithful person, the one who stayed the course, who might conquer death and sin for you and for me. This is the work of God that you believe. Today, believer, will you consider Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, Jesus. And Father, I, I thank you for your word and how it